Now, gang, um, I don't exactly know how this is all going to come out tonight. Um, for those of you who are somewhat new to Gracie Van, Wednesday night is a time where we study Romans. Um, we, we've been studying it for quite some time, and we're all the way up to chapter 10. And so we normally take a verse and do a verse a night. Well, this is our third, this is my third week back, and we haven't gotten to verse one yet. And, um, and, and I'm part of, I mean, all of it's my fault, but um, so much of it is, to, is traceable to my recent exposure to some uh, uh, things in Judaism that I had uh, heretofore uh, not been exposed to. So tonight, I think we're going to try to get this thing untracked, but I, I'm not real sure how far we're going to go. If you'll take your, your, your Bibles and open them to Romans 10, uh, I, I do want you to know, um, hang in there. We will go verse by verse, uh, I guess, um, soon, but I'm not sure it's going to be tonight. Um, let me read you where we are and what, uh, what has spawned my, my thoughts and comments for the night is verses 1 and 2. Actually, just verse 1, but I'll read verses 1 and 2. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, guys, in verse 1, there's several little lessons that are very profitable for us to, to take to heart. Uh, I have identified three lessons out of uh, verse 1 that I want to get to eventually. But tonight I think we're going to be consumed with only one of those lessons. And it has to do with the attitude that the Apostle Paul displays towards Judaism and towards Jews. Um, I, I want you to notice something um, which is in, in, in many ways very remarkable. He, uh, he says, uh, my heart's desire. I mean, he is, he's groaning for Judaism or he's groaning for Jews, longs to see them saved, and even in verse 2 compliments uh, Judaism uh, telling or saying that they have a zeal for God. Now, guys, let me tell you why that's a, um, an exemplary model and a lesson for us, and we'll take this far afield tonight, and again, I don't know where it's going to go, but gang, here is a pastor who is groaning over a group of people, which is always impressive. Uh, I hope you have a pastor that groans over you, but here is, a, here is a pastor that is groaning over a group of people who hate him, hate him. Um, you know the story, I think, in the New Testament. Um, Judaism, on numerous occasions, tried to kill him. They imprisoned him on a couple of three occasions. He was beaten on several occasions by Judaism or by... I don't know how, how, I don't know how you want me to say it, Jews or Judaism. I, you know, I hope that's not confusing to you, but... But in the face of that enormous offense, he groans for them, longs for them. Um, he says it, as I said earlier, he says it in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for Jews. Now, now just 
Think about that for a minute, guys. I mean, um, do you long and love, long for and love people who have tried to kill you and hate you and imprison you and beat you? The impressive part of this is there's not a hint of malice. Um, he, he has repeated himself. I, I pointed this out a couple of weeks ago. Because when you, when you feel strongly about something, um, you do repeat it. But there's not one hint of they're just getting what they deserve. Not, none of that. Um, it, it apparently, I think, I mean, I, I think this is a decent suggestion. Paul uh, caught this spirit of reconciliation from, from his Savior, who prayed for the ones who were standing around him who had just murdered him and nailed him to a cross. So in, in, in that spirit of pastoral concern, he longs for people who hate him, despise him. Now, guys, that's pretty impressive to me for lots of reasons. And, um, and that's where I don't know where we're going to go from here. Um, it's impressive to me that when, after having read all that I've read of, of late and to find the Apostle Paul blamed for the creation of Christianity... To see this man so concerned about them. Now, guys, um, another concern that I have about this particular study, uh, this particular chapter, as I said to you last week, is my concern not in any way to contribute um, and, yea, even to overturn any smidgen or hint of anti-Semitism that may exist among us. Now, guys, I, I say that <laughs> Judaism hates Paul. But it also hates Christ. Um, I'm going to read you something that is pretty shocking. It's even got a couple of words in here that, uh, you know, aren't going to be uh, well-received in, in pristine company. But then, I'm, then I want to tell you a little history. And, you know, some of you think, history? I didn't come to get a history lesson. I came here to study Romans chapter 10. Forget that history business. But I, I hope it will be profitable to you for at least my concern as a pastor is you. And so I'm going to do something that I hope will prevent us from ever being guilty of anything so ugly. Not ugly. Anything so wicked as anti-Semitism. By the way, I did say this last week and somebody uh, said, I said, has everybody ever heard of the word anti-Semitism? And I had a, a, a dear brother come up to me and said, I'd never heard of the word. The word is anti Semitism, and um, it just means against Jews or hatred of Jews. 
And um, that's that's something that I'm concerned about. And and I, and, you, and I think you'll see why in just a minute. But I, I'm saying that that here's a pastor who loves people who hate him. But these people not only hate. I mean, Judaism not only hates Paul, it hates Christ. And I want to tell you why it does. And I'm not sure I can blame them. <laughs> this is written by a, uh, a man by the name of Solomon Bar Simpson, who's a historian. And I'm going to read some more of him in just a minute. But listen. He's talking about um, uh, Christians trying to convert Jews. And he's telling them um, um, that the great hope of Judaism is the restored temple. And um, your faithfulness to Judaism is epitomized by your refusal to convert. This is written to Jews, okay? Um, more than ever, that requires a rejection of, in Solomon Bar Simpson's words, your refusal to convert involves a rejection of, listen, a crucified scion. That's a word that simply means a branch of a tree. He is pleading for Judaism to reject a crucified scion who was despised, abominated, and held in contempt in his own generation, a bastard son conceived by a menstruating and wanton mother. Does that shock anybody in here besides me? You know that last clause is an attack at the Virgin Mary, which is so important to uh, Roman Catholicism. Our Savior is being called a bastard son conceived by a menstruating and wanton mother. And so this particular man, who is an historian, is, is pleading with Judaism to stay as far away from that bastard son as they can stay. Because, ladies and gentlemen, woven deep into the heart of Judaism is a hatred for the Apostle Paul and a hatred of Christianity. And, of course, at the center of Christianity is this Christ. Now, why do they hate Christianity so much? Oh, my. My friends, we should be ashamed. We should be. I have a friend, Steve Brown. Uh, some of you know Steve Brown. Um, Steve Brown, oh my eye itches. Um, Steve Brown says that the first thing that we should do when we ever meet someone who is Jewish is apologize. Now, I think that's silly. Um, that's like us, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't do this, and, and I, I think... Oh, what do they call those um, vicarious apologies? Are it's foolish. I, I'm apologizing for the Civil War. I didn't do the Civil War. It's silly, in my opinion. But um, he might have a point, guys. Uh, here, here's the history lesson. Just real quick. This won't this won't bore you too much, guys. Um, 
in our minds, when we think of uh, anti-Semitism, we think of the Holocaust. That's, that's really kind of uh, short-sighted. Um, there, there's been so much that, is, that Christianity has, um, has done uh, in the name of uh, Christian zeal um, uh, to Judaism that, that you may not know much about. For instance, have you ever heard of these things? Do you know the Crusades? Uh, do you know the Crusades? That's in like, a, I think the first one I might have my years wrong. It's somewhere around 1095 uh, A.D. Do you know that there was like four of them, four crusades? Do you know that they were ordered? They were ordered by popes. The crusades were ordered by popes to go back to Jerusalem and, you know, get Jerusalem back and kill all the infidels and yada, yada, yada. And it was really um, theoretically aimed at Muslims. But on the way, in their apocalyptic evangelistic zeal, they slaughtered hundreds of thousands of Jews. Did you know that? I want to read you just a couple of things that occurred in the city of Mainz. Uh, it used to be really one of the seats of uh, Western Christianity. It's in South Germany. And um, there's a chapter in this book called Mainz. Mains Anonymous. Um, on the first uh, crusade, um, the crusaders were heading down from Germany and headed over to Jerusalem. And they, um, there was a large, thriving Jewish community in Mainz, Germany. And in late May 1096, uh, they attacked the city of Mainz and this, this community of, um, of Jews. Um, they were at first, that community of Jews was first protected by a Roman Catholic priest, but they only had 300 in their army, and the, and the Crusaders had countless thousands, so they were overrun. And um, this is an account, this is an account of the scene at Mainz, Germany, while Christians with crosses on their uniforms were slaughtering Jews. The hand of the Lord rested heavily on his people, and all the Gentiles assembled against the Jews in the courtyard to exterminate them. When the people of the sacred covenant, that would be the Israelites, saw that the heavenly decree had been issued and the enemy had defeated them and were entering the courtyard, they all cried out together, old and young, maidens and children, men servants and maids, to their Father in heaven. They cried this out. There is no questioning the ways of the Holy One. Blessed be he and blessed be his name who has given us his Torah and has commanded us to allow ourselves and has commanded us to allow ourselves to be killed and slain in witness to the oneness of his holy name. Listen to this. Then in a great voice they all cried out as one. We need tarry no longer, for the enemy is already upon us. Let us hasten and offer ourselves as a sacrifice before God. Anyone possessing a knife should examine it to see that it is not defective, and let him then proceed to slaughter us in sanctification of the unique and eternal one, then slaying himself, either cutting his throat or thrusting his knife into his stomach. 
Do you know what that's describing, ladies and gentlemen? Judaism gathered in a courtyard knowing that its enemies had gathered around. By the way, the enemies were who? Oh, that would be Christians. That would be usans. The Christians had all gathered to slay these innocent, these, these uh, defenseless people. Nobody's innocent. They're not innocent. We're not innocent. Nobody's innocent. We're all guilty. Um, uh, anyway, but they, they gathered around this, in this courtyard and they said, thanks be unto God that he has permitted us to be slain. And so they, the, the advice they gave is everybody's got a knife. Bring the knife and kill everybody that's around you and then turn it on yourself. That's what they did. Let me read you um, um, just three more of these. This, this author brilliantly then leaps to April 1942. Now, some of you were born then in 1942. Most of you weren't. I was not, but there's a couple here who are. You remember that was going, what was happening in 1942. That would be the World War II. Some of our kids don't know about that war, but there was one. Um, listen to this, guys. Nazis swarmed into the Warsaw Ghetto. You know what the ghetto was? Jews were confined to a, cer- confined to a certain area in the city where they could live. And they were starved in that ghetto. This was, this was prior to going to the, 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 the concentration camps. This is in Warsaw, Poland. In fact, the Warsaw Ghetto is infamous. Um, in 1942, Nazis swarmed into the Warsaw Ghetto, hauling Jews to the Umschlagplatz, where the boxcars awaited them. The yellow building behind the high fence at 60 Sienna Street was a children's hospital. You get that? The children's hospital thing? Did you get that? One of its doctors was Adina S.Z.W. Swagger. She survived to tell what happened as the Germans began taking the sick from the wards to the cattle trucks. Here's what she did. I took morphine upstairs. And just as during those two years of real work in the hospital, I had bent down over the little beds. So now I poured this last medicine down those tiny mouths. And downstairs, there was screaming. You know what she did? She took bottles of morphine, and she went upstairs to where there were children in hospital beds and poured morphine down their mouths to kill them. Now, she was, sp- she was trying to spare them. She was trying to be merciful to them. Um, now, one more and I'm done. But I, I'm trying to make a point, and... Um, this is another account of that courtyard scene that I just read a moment ago. Now we're flashing back to 1096. The women girded their loins with strength and slew their own sons and daughters and then themselves. Many men also mustered their strength and slaughtered their wives and children and infants. The most gentle and tender of women slaughtered the child of her delight. They all arose, man and woman alike, and slew one another. Let the ears hearing this and its like be seared. For who has heard or seen the likes of it? Inquire and seek. Was there ever such a mass sacrificial offering since the time of Adam? 
Did it ever occur that there were 1,100 offerings on a single day, all of them comparable to the sacrifice of Isaac, the son of Abraham? For since the day on which the second temple was destroyed, their like had not arisen, nor shall there be their like again. Happy are they, and happy is their lot. For all of them are destined for eternal life in the world to come, and may my place be amongst them. Do you know what I just read? These people, mothers and fathers, gathered in that courtyard, and mothers and fathers killed their own children before being turned over to the crusaders. And they would kill their wives and their children. Why? so that they could keep them out of the clutches of Christians. Now, guys, um, I said this two weeks ago, and I, and I mean it. Christianity is not to be blamed. Christianity didn't produce that. That is not, I mean, the Holocaust or, or the Crusades is not consistent with the person and beauty and work of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not to be blamed. But Christians are. Guys, what, what I'm trying to give you is a sense of the hatred that is and the, the fear that Judaism has for us. The animal, you know, last week I, I quoted to you um, Rabbi Greenstein. And Rabbi Greenstein said, he looked at me, I mean, you know, he wasn't being, he wasn't being, a, he wasn't being ugly, he wasn't being, a, he wasn't attacking me, he just simply said, I cannot respect a religion that does not have the moral fiber to put a stop to the Holocaust. But ladies and gentlemen, the Holocaust is just the tip of the iceberg. We've been doing this for 2,000 years in the name of Jesus. Guys, where did this come from? Where, what happened? My, my point is, you can't find out an Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul groans for his countrymen. Don't lay this at the Apostle Paul's feet. No, no, no. Apostle Paul didn't do this. No, we did it. Somewhere in the, in, in the whole ravages of the fall, we have, we have, there is such potential within us. Gang, you do know, don't you, that at least Judaism um, lays the charge of the Holocaust at our feet. You know that, don't you? That Roman Catholicism allowed uh, uh, Germans to join the Nazi party? And that uh, Pope Pius XII uh, watched as a thousand Jews were herded, uh, herded up and put in, um, um, a, in trucks and headed off to Auschwitz? That was the Pope! Which, by the way, Roman Catholicism doesn't even deny. Gang, I'm not trying to give you anything other than a greater understanding of the of the animosity that exists between Judaism and Christianity, and we deserve it. We deserve it. Can you imagine pouring morphine down the mouth of a child to keep it from the hands 
of its murderers? I can't imagine that. I can't imagine being in that kind of situation. I, I, I mean, that a woman would, in mercy, take morphine and pour it down little mouths. Oh, and then downstairs, they're being slaughtered and screaming. Gang, um, now go back to Romans chapter 10, verse 1. And you listen to the Apostle Paul groan over these people. I read you about their view of our Savior. I, I told you some things about what, what is in this enormous historical offense that exists between Judaism and Christianity. And then you come back to the Apostle Paul and he says, my brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That's phenomenal. That is absolutely mind-boggling. That, that all this hatred that exists from us to them and them to us. Don't blame the Apostle Paul for that. That's one of the lessons that I think this is, that's in here. Guys, this, this strikes me as such a rebuke. Non-Christians irritate me. Don't they irritate you? I mean, uh, um, I mean, they're so non-Christian. Oh, I want to be with all my Christian buddies because we cleaned it up our acts. They just annoy me. Guys, <laughs> try to somehow rationalize and justify that in the face of a man who had been beaten and murdered and or sought to murder him and jailed, and he says, I groan for those people. You never see him attack them. He doesn't attack Jews. He doesn't attack non-Christians. He exposes error. And we always need to be exposing error. But it doesn't ever seem to get personal. Tell me, what kind of attitude do you possess when it comes to thinking about Non-Christians. Jews or non-Jews. This is, this is far more impressive. Oh, well, you know, he, he prayed for the Jews. No, 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 no. It's much bigger than that. This is a man who apparently grasped something about his Savior. that shaped everything that he thought about unbelieving the unbelieving world. And instead of producing that, we produced the Crusades. Now, guys, that's, that's not really fair. You know, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. And, and I, 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 I hope you know that I know that. But... 
the religion to which we belong because we've been overtaken and overcome by the beauty of the Savior in all of His saving work and His saving intervention for someone as wicked as I. That religion did this. I hope it disgusts you. I hope it does because here's my real point. How could this ever be mentioned among us? How could any of us ever possibly have the slightest smidgen of anti-Semitism in our souls? How? 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 How could you justify that? How could we possibly rationalize the fact, oh, well, you know, uh, I know what Martin Luther said. He said uh, they killed Jesus. They didn't kill him any more than I did. Or you did. But guys, forget Judaism for a second. Where does your heart lie when it comes to relating to the rest of the non-Christian world? Look what the man says. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Tell me, when's the last time your soul groaned over a lost man or woman. When did that happen? Because that's real Christianity, ladies and gentlemen. What we got is, is some kind of, you know, reasonable facsimile. But the real thing, the real thing groans. Because the real man who groaned was conscious that there is something called hell and it really does exist. Guys, I'm going to come back to this more specifically next week because my second lesson, I, uh, but we got, we got three minutes according to my, my watch. But I'll come back to this next week, but let me just leave you with this. Theologically, I love to think of myself as a systematician. That is, I love to think of myself as a systematic theologian. Now, whether I am or aren't, that's up to somebody else to decide. But I love to think of myself that way. I love Reformed theology. You know, some of you said in my class, and, and I, I, love to, I love to hang things neatly in order and, uh, and give you a sequence as to why I believe what I believe. Okay? I love to do that. Uh, in seminary, when I was trained... Uh, the real emphasis was systematics, systematics, systematics. But some of you fancy yourself as theologues too, and I'm glad you do. And I hope you'll get better at it, and better, and better, and better at it. There's a, we're we're going to cover that in a couple of weeks. But I hope that you will. I hope you will love theology. It's it's the queen of sciences. It's um, you know all of life is theological. All of life is doctrinal. All of it. All of it. Um, the newspaper is full of theology. I mean, it's, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. And it's, and it's intellectually satisfying. And I, I, I love Christian. That's one of the reasons I love being a Christian is because some, many of my intellectual conundrums are, are solved. But here's my point. Do you consider yourself 
a theologian that rivals the Apostle Paul. Oh, well, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself. I mean, Apostle Paul is, uh, you know, he's the, he's the big kahuna. He's the, uh, he's the top of the heap. Well, let me tell you what the greatest of all theologians does. He groans over lost men and women. Now listen to me, my brother and sister in Christ. If you don't groan, it's either because you don't get it and you're not as good as theologian as you think you are. Or you're being willfully disobedient. Because the one who gave us a third of the New Testament in all of those glorious doctrines that he taught groaned, ached, longed to see unbelieving men and women come to Christ. If we're as spiritual as we think we are, that's what we'll be doing too. Our hearts will be heavier than they presently are over watching men call our Savior a bastard son of a menstruating and wanton woman. And somebody who would say something as vile as that. The Apostle Paul groans over. Father, forgive us that um, our time is spent playing uh, games and buying gadgets, uh, but very little uh, emotional uh, capital is spent on watching men perish. And I pray, Lord God, that you will um, make us all, including the preacher of this church, make us more like the one that the Apostle Paul imitated. Christ Jesus. And we pray it, of course, in Jesus' name. Thanks and good night.